For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. I think this is probably the most encouraging topic in the whole Bible, the subject of heaven. And, um, you know, some of us probably wondered about the afterlife. We've wondered, is this life all that there is? Maybe we've looked, we've looked at ourselves and thought, I, I feel like I'm meant for something more than this. We've looked at our lives and we've thought, it seems like there has to be more to life than just what I see in front of my face. And the reason for that is the Bible says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. There's a part of you that longs for him, that longs for the eternal dwelling place that he will prepare for all of his children someday. And that is heaven. And my prayer tonight is that you guys will gain a fraction of the encouragement that I've gotten as I've studied this topic all week. If, you, if it's your first time here, I'll bring you up to speed. We've been studying this letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago by a guy named Paul to a group of Christians in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And um, we're almost done studying it. We're all the way down to the 15th chapter of this letter. And in this chapter, we're halfway through this argument that he's been making. We started studying this last time we were in 1 Corinthians. And he's been talking about this issue of the resurrection. Apparently, there were false teachers in this city that were causing trouble in this church. They were teaching that Jesus Christ never really raised from the dead and that the people here um, in, in this world are not going to be raised from the dead either. And what Paul has been arguing this whole chapter so far is he's been arguing, no, the, the, the death of Christ, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the, the dead and conquered death, that has been the, at the heart of the Christian message since the very beginning. It was the first thing I told you about when we got here. Um, he talked about evidence for the resurrection of Christ from the Old Testament scriptures predicted long, in it, long beforehand. He talked about all the evidence from the different eyewitnesses that met Jesus after he raised from the dead. And then he talked about just the essential nature of the resurrection, that this is, if we lose the resurrection, we lose everything. And we're fools for being Christians. And um, he says, you know, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so tonight, what he's going to interact with is another question that was raised by the opponents in a mocking way, but he's going to interact with it in an um, informative way. And that is... In verse 34, it says, well, then how are the dead raised? What kind of bodies will they have? And uh, I think we just need a, a brief orientation to the Christian conception of the body and the soul. Randy Alcorn, his book, Heaven, I'm actually going to be quoting quite a bit from this tonight. He says, the essence of humanity is not just spirit, but spirit joined with body. Your body does not merely house the real you. It's as much a part of who you are as your spirit is. And so if we had to draw some sort of a diagram, you know, you've got the spirit and the body joined together, and um, this is you. It's not that you are your spirit or soul, those are used interchangeably a lot of times in scripture, and that you're housed inside of a body, but you are spirit and body. There's two parts to our nature. One part is material, physical. The other part is immaterial, not physical. And he says, if this idea seems wrong to us, it's because we've been deeply influenced by what he calls Christoplatonism. It's a term he uses throughout this book. And he says, um, you know, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, 
he, had a, he taught a dualism that really influenced a lot of Greek philosophy and thinking after that. And, he, and has also influenced Christianity way too much. Plato taught that there was the sharp divide between the physical and the spiritual. And they taught that physical bad, spiritual good. And unfortunately, Christianity has just gulped us in. And so what we've, what we've come up with is an afterlife that's purely spiritual and not physical at all. Whereas everything the Bible tells us about the afterlife is that it is a, is a real place, a physical place. We have bodies there and we live on a recreated, a renewed earth that God will, re, that God will remake. And unfortunately, you know, one of the themes running throughout this book is he just exposes how much we've been influenced by Christianity combined with Platonic thought, which he calls Christoplatonism. From a Christoplatonic perspective, our souls merely occupy our bodies like a hermit crab inhabits a seashell. And our souls could naturally or even ideally live in a disembodied state. It's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul's detailed defense of the physical resurrection of the dead was written to the church at Corinth, what we're reading right now. More than any other New Testament Christians, the Corinthian believers were immersed in the Greek philosophies of Platonism and dualism, which perceived a dichotomy between the spiritual and physical. The biblical view of human nature, however, is radically different. Scripture indicates that God designed our bodies to be an integral part of our total being. Our physical bodies are, not, are, are an essential aspect of who we are, not just shells for our spirits to inhabit. That's why death is such an abnormal condition, because it tears apart what God created and joined together. God intended our bodies to last as long as our souls. And yet at death, we see a rift between the spirit and the body. That's why death is so awful. That's why if you look upon a body, even, even shortly after death, you could just see this is not, you know, I, I remember the first funeral I was ever at was my, I think it was my great grandma. And I remember going up to the, the casket and looking at her body, I'm just like, that is not her. You know, it, it, this is just different. And, and there's, there's a, a rending of something that was supposed to be together. And so... <clears throat> Those who believe in Platonism or pre-existent spirits see a disembodied soul as natural and even desirable. The Bible sees it as unnatural and undesirable. We're unified beings. That's why the bodily resurrection of the dead is so vital. And that's what Paul is arguing here in this chapter. And he comes to the end of the argument he was making last week. And he says in verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so he brings up the first fruits here. What is he talking about? Well, Jesus was crucified on a festival called Passover. And uh, it, was, it was no coincidence that he died on that day. That was a very important uh, annual event in the Jewish religious calendar. And I don't have time to go into all of the symbolism and significance of Jesus' death on the Passover. We've got, I can point you in a direction of a teaching where we spent the whole night talking about this. But what Paul is bringing up is the festival that comes immediately after the Passover. Passover was not really just a one-day event, but it was viewed as an eight-day event because you had the Passover followed by the week-long Festival of Unleavened Bread. So it was really an eight-day event that people would travel to Jerusalem for. One of the three times a year they were supposed to travel to Jerusalem. And in this Festival of Unleavened Bread, one of the things they would do is the first Sunday after the Passover, 
He says, I want you to go out. This is at the very beginning of the grain harvest. He says, I want you to cut the very first, the, the first fruits of your harvest. And I want you to carry that with you to Jerusalem and bring that to the priest, a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. It says in Leviticus 23. And what, what that was doing is you're going to the priest and you're, and you're offering up a thank offering to God. And what you're saying is, God, so many months ago, we took these seeds and we buried them one by one in the ground. And then something amazing happened. That was not the last we saw of those seeds. New life came up out of the ground. And this is the first one. And we know, we thank you, God, that we have this first one, but we know that there are so many more to come. That was the significance of the first fruits. Yes, it's the first one from the ground, but we look forward to many more. And can you see the significance that God had resurrection happen on the day when the first fruits were supposed to be offered? The resurrection of Christ happened the first Sunday after the Passover. What, they were, what it was saying was, so many humans throughout the millennia have been buried in the ground again and again and again, and the graveyards are full. But this one came up. And we know something amazing happened here, that this one went into the ground, Jesus Christ died and was buried, and then he came back resurrected, not resuscitated. You see a handful of resuscitations throughout scripture where somebody's dead and they come back to life, but they have to die again someday. That was not what Jesus was. He was resurrected never to die again. And this, God said, is a sign that there's a lot more coming. He's only the first one. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's an expression that means died. And so you can see why, why Paul is linking the resurrection of Christ so closely with our future resurrection. Jesus, he's the first, the first one out of the ground. And he guarantees there's a huge harvest coming. And so we can know, because he rose from the dead and he, he says, I got you covered, we know that we will live together with him in resurrection bodies, just like he had. He goes on, he says, since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What is he talking about here? Death came through a man, resurrection comes through a man. In Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. So it says in Adam all die. What scripture tells us is the very first human beings, Adam and his wife Eve, God created them in a world of perfection. They were never to die. He intended their souls and their bodies to last as long as each other, eternally. And yet, but he said, you need to follow me. And in the day you turn away from me, you're going to break everything, and you will surely die. And they turned away from God, and they broke everything. And what Adam has done is he's passed on death to all of his descendants, which is all of us. And so in Adam, you know, it says death came through a man... You know, there's just generations and generations of descendants. And everybody's dying. No one is getting out of here alive. Death is the great enemy that devours all. And no amount of money, you might be able to delay it a little bit, but no amount of money can save you from death. 
in Adam all die. And so the reason why your life is headed toward death right now is because you are part of this race descended from this one man through whom death came into the world. But it says there's such a thing as in Christ, where you can be transferred from in Adam to in Christ. It says the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And we can move over from in Adam to in Christ. And so he says in Christ, all will be made alive. And that's a promise. And, and the way this happens is not you just have to be a really good person and you can somehow attain to the resurrection. No. It's by admitting I'm not good enough, that I deserve eternal separation from you, God. God, please give me your forgiveness. Please put me in Christ. Join me with him. An eternal, inseparable bond. And if you come to him and you receive his forgiveness, then he will will take your punishment that you deserve for your sins. He will die. His death will count for you. And you will receive his righteousness. And you will live forever. And that's the good news. The bad news is that we're all dying and we deserve separation from God. The good news is Christ has shown another way. And you can be in Christ. You know, when we die, you know, we've got this, our spirit and our body. The body and spirit are separated. The body remains on the earth, decomposing. God said to our first ancestors, to dust you will return. So what happens to the spirit? It's not soul sleep, you know. It's not that we, we, pass, we, we just remember nothing until the return of Christ. It's also not reincarnation. We don't, we're not continually reincarnated as we work our way to the top. No, Paul says, I want to depart and be with Christ. Jesus promised this one man who was dying, he said, yes, you will die today, but today you will be with me in paradise. If you have received Christ's forgiveness, if you are in Christ, then the moment you die, your body will begin, it will stay here, will begin to decompose. Your spirit will go and be with Christ. And it looks like we'll exist in a temporary state, temporarily separated from our bodies in this abnormal state. You know, I don't know, do we get a loner body? Like when your car's in the shop and you're driving around, whatever they give you. Um, it's not clear, scripture's not clear. But it's a conscious place. And if you're, if you're, if you're a Christian believer, if you've been forgiven, then your, your soul, your spirit goes to be with Christ. And that's a promise. But what Paul's going to explain in this chapter is what happens after that part. He says, in Christ, all will be made alive someday. But each in turn, there's an order here. Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. And so we see this order of the resurrection. It doesn't all happen at once. You know, Christ on the cross, you know, again, you can imagine this spirit and body. It says that when he died on the cross, he gave up his spirit and um, he died, leaving just his body hanging there. His body was taken over to a tomb. It was buried on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. At some point, something crazy happened. His body was transformed from the mortal to immortal. Jesus received a resurrection body. And that was also the moment when his spirit was rejoined to his body. 
And then, this is the new resurrected Jesus. New body, same spirit. It's almost like when you're, um, you know, it's like you've got your old laptop, and then you get a new one, and you reinstall your old programs on there, and all of a sudden, it's just going a lot faster. <laughs> it's, no analogy is perfect, but maybe, you know, you're like, whoa, this is a lot better. <laughs> I think that's a little bit of what it's going to be like when we get the new hardware. Well, this resurrected Jesus, he, um, he appeared to people in various places, talked with people for a period of 40 days. He ate meals with his followers. He could teleport. I don't know if we'll have that ability in our resurrected bodies, but at a certain point, he's standing there and he ascends into heaven and says, I'll be back someday. And so he leaves. And so the first fruits, on just the right day, came back and um, showed that he had conquered death. God had accepted, the Father had accepted the Son's sacrifice. And then it says one day when he comes, he's going to come back. And so Christ will come back, and at that point... Everyone who belongs to him will also receive resurrection bodies. And so it'll be something like this, where the bodies are coming out of the ground different. God will regather whatever's left of those. I don't know how that's going to work. But somehow he will. And this new body that we will receive, it will have some relation to the old. But it will also be different. And our spirit will then be united with that, that new body, that immortal body, never to die again. And we'll be with him forever. And after that, the end will come. When Christ will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is what's wrong with the human world. This is the answer to the problem of evil. People are like, well, if God is all-powerful and all-good, why doesn't he do away with evil and suffering and death? And the answer is, he will. He's going to. But you need to be patient. Because there's some things he's waiting on. He's got a whole plan he's working out. He's also, the main thing it says he's waiting on is for people, maybe yourself included, to come into a relationship with Christ. So you can actually be in this new world, this new, this new place that he creates. You're not going to want to miss out on that. You know, he calls death here the, the last enemy, the final enemy, and death truly is the final enemy. And if I don't think you can really appreciate the full impact of this until you've been up close right there with death, until you've seen it happen, until you've seen how awful it is. Yes, death comes for us all. But what the scripture says, one day Christ will come for death and he will put an end to death forever. And we will never have to deal with this horrible, awful tragedy. Death is not a beautiful thing. Death is horrible. It was never meant to happen. And he says, one day I will destroy that enemy that no human could destroy, only Christ can destroy and he will take this world, this world that is, no, is not under, is not following God's authority. Because he's given us the freedom to disobey him. And he's going to create a world where people 
follow him, and they want to follow him. And it's going to be an awesome place. And we're not going to have to deal with this sort of thing anymore in the future. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that it doesn't include God himself who gave Christ the authority. But anyway, then when all things are put under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. In other words, God is setting up a world that actually follows his rule. And it's going to be a good place. We broke away from God's authority, but one day he'll set everything right. As Jesus says in Revelation 21, he says, look, I'm making everything new. And it's going to be so good. He's going to make everything new. And we will receive new physical bodies. And we will inhabit a real physical place. Not spirits, not ghosts floating around on clouds but with real bodies. And this is, hard to, this is hard to wrap our minds around. And Paul's going to try to explain what these bodies are like. He says, someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? He says, what a foolish question. <laughs> uh, he, this is because the, the people he's responding to, they're not actually interested. They're kind of mocking. Oh, yeah, what kind of bodies? It's that sort of thing. But he is going to answer their question. He says, you know, when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. If you want to plant an apple tree, you don't bury an entire apple tree in the ground and then cover it. And then that's, that would actually be kind of stupid. <laughs> no, there's just a seed that's buried there. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. Yeah, that seed probably never imagines the sort of plant it's going to turn into. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. God is very creative. There's so much variety in the things that he's created. And this new plant, it, it looks a lot different from the old seed, and yet it came from that very seed. You know, are the, the seed that you planted, is that completely different from the plant that grew from it? No. I mean, truly, the plant came from that seed. There's some sort of one-to-one -one correspondence between those two. But it's definitely not the same thing. And so what we see is the principle of continuity between the bodies that we have now, minds we have now, and the bodies we will one day have. A lot of people are confused on this point. They wonder, in heaven will I still be myself? Randy Alcorn has this to say. He says, you will be you in heaven. Who else would you be? <laughs> if Bob, a man on earth, is no longer Bob when he gets to heaven, then in fact, Bob did not go to heaven. <laughs> if when I arrive in heaven, I'm not the same person with the same identity, history, and memory, then I didn't go to heaven. The resurrected Jesus did not become someone else. He remained who he was before his resurrection. It is I, myself, he tells his disciples. They can't believe it. He has a physical body. He's like, look, I'm flesh and bone. I, it's me. It's the same me. But different, obviously. But the same. Honestly, we can learn a lot about the resurrection bodies by looking at Jesus Christ's resurrection body, since he's the first fruits. You know, um, Philippians talks about the book of life. He's, he talks about... Paul talks about my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Every Christian's name is inscribed in the book of life. 
I, I think the way to take that is it's your real name. My name is written in the book of life. And so the real you with your name, if you're a Christian, will go to heaven. But what's pretty cool is this. Jesus tells us this. He drops this on us in Revelation 2. He says, you know, I'm going to give to each person a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. And so there will be another name that Christ will give you that not only, not only couldn't you tell anyone else, they wouldn't even understand it if you did. And what that speaks to is the incredible intimacy to be known like you've never been known before. That may be one of the greatest, the greatest aspects of heaven. He'll say, this is your new name, and you're going to be like, oh, yes, brilliant. <laughs> what about relationships? This implies continuity in relationships. Yeah. The fact that Jesus picked up his relationships where they left off is a foretaste of our own lives after we're resurrected. We'll experience continuity between our current lives and our resurrected lives with the same memories and relational histories. This is not memory wipe. The notion that relationships with family and friends will be lost in heaven, though common, is unbiblical. I really thought that until I read this book. It denies the clear doctrine of continuity between this life and the next, and suggests that our earthly lives and relationships have no eternal consequence. It completely contradicts Paul's intense anticipation of being with the Thessalonian Christians and has encouraged them to look forward to rejoining their loved ones in heaven. He says, I can't wait till we get to heaven and I'll stand there with you, my joy and my crown. I'll be so happy to be there in heaven with you. And he says, oh, don't worry about your fellow believers, your loved ones who have passed away. You will be reunited. You will be together forever in heaven. And that will be so cool. He says, perhaps you're disappointed. You've never had the friendships you long for. Well, in heaven, you'll have much closer relationships with some people you now know. But it's also true that you may never have met the closest friends you'll ever have. Just as someone may be 50 years old before meeting her best friend, you may live on the new earth enjoying many friendships before meeting someone who will become your dearest friend a million years from now. Like, I can't believe we never ran into each other. <laughs> <laughs> Relationships in heaven. So cool. We can, we can get started on these now. We get a foretaste of all of this, and yet the completion of it will not happen until we get there. Paul says, you know, there's different kinds of flesh. One for humans, another for animals, another for birds. Another for fish. Again, with the creativity of God. I mean, you know, you've got the lion. And then you've got the hummingbird. And then you've got a whale. <laughs> Those are very different kinds of flesh. <laughs> Which one's better? The lion. The lion. What? The lion? <laughs> I mean, in some ways, yeah. That hummingbird is really cool, though. The whale, the, the majesty of the whale, the, um, we have such a creative God. And he's, it's like, if he hadn't created a, a hummingbird, I never would have thought of hummingbirds. I never would have thought of birds. <laughs> It'd just be empty skies. 
But God's like, no, we want birds. <laughs> and so just because we can't really imagine what this is going to be like, we need to, we need to really think about the kind of God we're talking about here. Oh, and he's like, don't even get me started. There's also bodies in the heavens and on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. I mean, you think about the sun. That has what kind of glory. Very different from a hummingbird or a lion. The moon and the stars, they've each got another kind. In fact, even the stars differ from each other in their glory. I mean, you look, think about the sun. The sun is so awesome. Where would we be without the sun? The moon is also super cool. If you've ever looked at the moon through even a rudimentary telescope, uh, just brace yourself that you don't, you don't start screaming how awesome this is <laughs> late at night <laughs> in your neighborhood. <laughs> I used to have a telescope and I'd be like, hey, we're going to look at the moon, but you've got to be quiet, okay? And they'd be like, oh my God! I'd be like, dude, it's midnight, Okay. Oh, and then you look at the nebula, some of these pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope. Man, I mean, Paul had never seen this. He had no idea the kind of glory that was waiting there. And there's, there's a lot more that we have no idea about. The further we can probe into space, the closer we can look at the atom, we just, we look into a microscope and we're like, whoa. And then we look into an electron microscope and we're like, whoa. And each telescope, we're like, whoa. What's better, hummingbird or the moon? They're both super cool. <laughs> it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. There's, um, even the bodies God has given us now are awesome, but it's nothing compared with the resurrection body we will receive. Our earthly bodies, they're planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. Yes, broken bodies laid in the ground. Alcorn says we become bent versions of what God intended. Your deceitfulness, laziness, lust, deafness, disability, and disease are not the real you. They're temporary perversions that will be eliminated. They're the cancer that the great physician will surgically remove. And his redemptive work is such that never again will they return. Yeah, cancer sucks. You remove it, it comes back. Not this one. This will never return. When you're on the new earth for the first time, you'll be the person God created you to be. He talks about our desires. We will have desires in heaven, but everything we want will be good. And we're like, won't that be boring? No, that's the assumption that sin is fun and God is boring. God's the one that came up with fun. And he says, our desires will please God. All, all will be right with the world. Nothing forbidden. When a father cooks steaks on the barbecue grill, he wants his family to listen to them sizzle and eagerly desire to eat them. God created our desires. Every object we desire. He loves it when our mouths water for what he's prepared for us. When we enjoy it, we'll be enjoying him. One of the great things about heaven is we'll no longer have to battle our desires. They'll always be pure, attending to their proper objects. We'll enjoy food without gluttony and eating disorders. We'll express admiration and affection without lust, fornication, or betrayal. Those simply won't exist. In fact, Christianity is unique in its perspective of our desires. 
teaching that they will be sanctified and fulfilled on the new earth. The Buddhist concept of deliverance teaches one day people's desires will be eliminated. That's radically different. Yeah, it is. Christianity teaches that Jesus takes our sins away while redeeming our desires. Desire is an essential part of humanity, a part that God built into people before sin cast its dark shadow on earth. I'm looking forward to having my desires redeemed. Won't it be wonderful to be free from uncertainty about our desires? Have you thought about that? We often wonder, is it good or bad of me for want this thing, or that award, or his approval, or her appreciation? Sometimes I don't know which desires are right and which aren't. I long to be released from the uncertainty and the doubt. I want to be capable of always wanting what's good and right. What we should do will at last be identical with what we want to do. There'll be no difference between duty and joy in heaven. Boy, that's going to be a good day. Paul says, they're buried in weakness, but raised in strength. So weak as they're laid into the ground. So weak even here on this, in this world. Some of us, this, I know this is a young crowd here, but I bet some of us have already sustained injuries that will be with us for the rest of our lives, limitations that will be with us for the rest of our lives. Some of us were born with these limitations, born with disabilities, some pretty severe. Johnny Erickson Tata talks about this. She's a Christian author. She's also a quadriplegic. She, lost, she was a, uh, a champion swimmer that dove into water too deep in her early 20s and spent the next 40 plus years in a wheelchair. And um, she talks about this concept of heaven. She says, I can still hardly believe it. I with shriveled bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body. Light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Someone who's cerebral palsied, brain injured, multiple sclerosis, the list could go on and on. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Yes, these debilitating illnesses and diseases, this is just a list of things, the worst things that could happen to you, things that rob you of life, things that are the beginning of a, a remaining life of hopelessness, but not with Christ. He says, pretty soon, you're going to have a new body, and you're not going to believe what it's going to be like. He says, buried as natural human bodies, but raised as spiritual bodies. Just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Yeah, he doesn't say they're raised as spirits, but raised as spiritual bodies. So they're still physical, like bodies, but they're spiritual bodies. Huh. What's that like? Well, judging from Christ's resurrection body, a spiritual body appears to, most of the time, to look and act like a regular physical body. With the exception, it may have, and in Christ's case, it does have, some powers of a metaphysical nature, that is, beyond normal physical abilities. He says, when it comes to doing what God wants and what we want, sometimes our bodies fail us. The disciples intended to pray in Gethsemane, but fell asleep. And what did Jesus say? The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. We won't have that problem anymore. What the spirit wills, the body will do. Our resurrection bodies will never fail us. They'll work in perfect concert 
with our resurrected minds. We should anticipate an unprecedented harmony of mind and body, unlike anything we've ever experienced in this life. Sometimes, if you play sports, sometimes you've felt it like occasionally where you're just like, I feel like I'm making every shot. I can do anything I want out here, and then it quickly ends. <laughs> you know, this will be complete control over the body. It will do what you want it to do. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, which was super cool. But the last Adam, that is Christ, a life-giving spirit. Yes, Adam was the first point where spirit and body were united into one. God breathed the breath of lives into him. But the last Adam, that is Christ, he's so much better than that. Because Christ is a life-giving spirit. He gives life. He gives resurrection life to all who come to him and receive it from him. Yeah, what comes first is the natural body. The spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. It's not saying that Jesus was some alien. Um, No, it's talking about origins. Adam began to exist at the moment where God created him. Christ had already existed in the very form of God. And instead of grasping on to this this position in heaven, he emptied himself, came to earth, and put on human flesh, and then died on a cross. He existed from eternity past, though. And so he came down, he took, fully took on human flesh. He's, he's also dust of the earth, but he's so much more than that. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we're now like the earthly man, we will someday be like Christ, the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Yes, there's one generation in the history of humanity, the future still, that will not experience death. There's a point where Christ will come back And the human race will still be alive on earth. There will be Christians living on earth at that time. And so the resurrection works if you're already dead when Christ comes back. But what if you haven't haven't died yet? You know, is it like that scene in Monty Python (laughs) where uh, he kills you so he can resurrect you? No, he's not going to go and kill every Christian so he can resurrect them. What he's going to do is he's just going to skip the death part and transform those believers alive when he returns. It'll happen in a moment. It's not going to be this very slow, you know, day-long metamorphosis. <laughs> like the fly. <laughs> It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet shout, sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. So everybody's going to get resurrection bodies, but ours will be the transformation of a living, fallen, physical body. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. This, we couldn't live in heaven with these fallen bodies. We need, we need the new stuff. We need the new hardware. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Yes, immortal bodies, bodies that will never die. Real, physical bodies. You've got to get this through your head because it's so hard to grasp. 
you know, bodies with all five senses. I mean, Jesus heard, he saw, he touched. I mean, he cooked food. We can presume he tasted and smelled the fish he was cooking and they ate for breakfast that morning in John 21. These are bodies that can eat and drink. You know, I don't know if we'll need to eat and drink, but we sure can because we see Jesus doing that. Minds that are eager to learn. Yes, there will be learning in heaven. We're not just going to, you know, suddenly know everything. Remember the principle of continuity? And learning is going to be so much better then. We're not going to be limited by, you know, now people can learn as much as they can, but it's really reading the books of, of geniuses who've died. At a certain point, you've got to write up your life's work and you die and hopefully somebody else will carry the torch. We're not, we're not going to have to worry about that anymore. We'll live forever. Things we learned a million years ago, we'll still remember and we can build on that. Think about the resources available to us in heaven. You know, imagine talking physics with Isaac Newton. Theology with Martin Luther. Uh, imagine, you know, studying music under the great musicians. Handel. Um, how cool will that be? And then to be able to interview people who were there. I mean, one thing we'll learn is we'll learn God... I don't know if God can take us back to see what happened or if he'll be able to play, replay moments of our lives. I don't know why we wouldn't be able to do that. You know, right now we have to take it on faith that God causes all things to work for good. Then we'll learn exactly how he did that. And at each point we will praise God for his wisdom, his brilliance. There's going to be a lot of learning in heaven. God is infinite. We're never going to learn everything. Because he's infinite. And that's going to be one of the super cool things in heaven. Will there be books? Yeah, there are books. He talks about the books of works, the great history God's writing on every one of your lives. There's a book of life. It says in the Psalms, you've captured all my tears in your bottle. You've written them down in your book. God's seen every one. Will there be music and dance? Yeah, way better than here on earth. Some of us might enjoy dancing for the first time ever. <laughs> There's definitely music in heaven. There's going to be new kinds of music. We're going to be able to learn musical instruments we just didn't have time to learn here in this life. Storytelling, yes, God, is a, God loves the storytelling. There's going to be so much, so much sitting around telling stories. You ever sit around with old friends and tell stories from back in the day? Man, this is going to be that, but to the, so much of a greater level. Art, why can't there be art in heaven? There's going to be art. I, I think a lot of the stuff from here on earth will be there, even if it's just for historical purposes only. But there's going to be new stuff, movies, all kinds of entertainment. Sports, yeah, definitely sports in heaven. I mean, what's wrong with that? It doesn't mean we'll make every basket just because we have resurrected bodies. I will probably be able to dunk finally, though. <laughs> Um, sports, I mean, God compares the Christian life to sports on several occasions. I think he's pro-sports. <laughs> Technology, new modes of travel? Yeah. Boy, we're going we're gonna to be able to, to, even now we can travel into space, but not that far into space. I'm looking forward to exploring the galaxy in heaven. Laughter, Jesus promises, he says, you will laugh in heaven. Luke 6, 21. There's going to be a lot of laughter in that place. It's a real place. Real bodies, a real recreated earth. Even the earth. I mean, if our bodies have the principle of continuity, 
Don't you think the earth might have the principle of continuity? Some relation to the old, but so much better. And then Paul concludes, he says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. He says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? He's taunting death. Death has been defeated. There's no more death. It's been swallowed up in the victory of Christ. He took the ultimate death so no one would have to ever have to die again. Yeah, sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Resurrection is what gives meaning to every single moment in this life that we live for God. And so the best is yet to come. People without Christ can only look back to when they were at their best, never to regain it. Memories are all they have, and even those memories fade. But elderly or bedridden Christians don't look back to the peak of their prowess. They look forward to it. Like a caterpillar waiting to burst forth. Eternal life will be enjoying forever what life on earth is at its finest moments, what it was intended to be, the glimpses we've gotten. In fact, since in heaven we'll finally be able to experience life at its best, it would be more accurate to call our present existence the before life rather than calling what follows the afterlife. <laughs> yeah, so two things you can walk away with here. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Some of us are suffering, we're in pain, we're wondering how we can go on. You've got to know, nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. He sees, he's writing it all out, and pretty soon it'll all be over. The other thing is, don't miss out on heaven. How terrible would it be if you sat through an entire teaching on heaven and then you didn't get to go there? That would be truly awful. But the choice is yours. The decision is in your hands. Nobody's going to keep you from going there except for you. Jesus Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens it, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He's knocking today. He's offering his forgiveness. He's offering eternal life. He's offering for these promises to all apply to you. You don't have to be afraid of death any longer. You can trust yourself to Christ. And that's 1 Corinthians 15. All right, let's pray. Yes, Lord, truly right now we, we see dimly as in a mirror but soon we will see things fully, Lord. You will open our eyes. You will give us new bodies. You will set up the new earth, Lord. And you will show us the people we were always meant to be, the place we were always meant to live, Lord. Our hearts long to be there. They long for you. They long for that place. And I, I'm just so thankful, God, for the hope that gives us in this life that it doesn't doesn't make us check out, but it makes us work harder, Lord, suffer longer, 
It, it gives us endurance and hope and peace in the midst of the most trying circumstances because we know where it's all headed. Amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.